were busy this morning talking about future plans for cleaning and different things going on and forgot all about adding the music to the presentation. So, huh? Yeah, I do. <laughs> there you go. Do what? We're going to do, you just leave it right there for the time being. We're going to get it there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we are going to do verse 4, but we're going to read it in the whole Psalm 23 in the message to begin with. Before we do get started, also, if you don't have a copy of what our future plans look like, Grace, if you would pick one up there on the table in the vestibule. So after service, you can get one of those. You can get a letter from the Black family. You, you can get a directory. I, I mean, you can get anything you want today. And so you, you get one and carry with you. And also, uh, the 24th, yesterday, two weeks on the 24th, on a Saturday, uh, if any of you would be available and would like to maybe do some painting, I plan to be here, weather permitting, to start painting the uh, outside of the doors. Uh, you don't have to be a super talented painter to do that. Uh, I will tape up the, the doorknob for you and stuff. Uh, so if you think you would like to help do that, if you would, let me know. Text me, message me, call me, whatever. Uh, so that uh, I'll make sure that I have enough supplies. As you can see, uh, work has started on the sign. Uh, I hope uh, to I'll get the painting finished this week on the sign. And not sure how long it's going to take to get the new inserts done. I'll meet him with the guy tomorrow about those. And uh, so we're, we're trying to get started on this long list. You know, there's a whole page worth of things to do. And I understand some of the ladies are going to meet over here in the middle of the week and start doing some work in the social hall, some cleaning and arranging and organizing, and maybe even in the counting room back here. So we want to get started. Uh, again, the, the, the goal is to have all of this done within three years because some of it is pretty big stuff. But we want to start with the small stuff and get it done as quickly as we can. And so uh, just put the 24th down on your calendar. And uh, we'll come and slap some paint on some, some doors and, and make them look good. We are in Psalm uh, 23, verse 4 today, but I, I want to read uh, the whole 23rd Psalm to you out of the message. If you recall, I encouraged you early on to read the psalm in multiple translations, and I don't know what translations y'all may or may not have. Now, now, I love the KJV, and, and that is what I have used the majority of my ministry until I started to use the ESV. But even when I was using KJV, I also had multiple translations at home that I read out of. Because each translation has its own pros and cons, and each translation can help you to understand some words maybe that others don't. And, and so you can use different Bible translations, almost like a commentary, uh, to understand how these translators looked at this section and these translators looked at this section and then combined them all together. And so the message is not a Bible that I would preach out of. It is, it is more of a paraphrase than a literal translation. 
but from time to time I just enjoy reading the message and the way it paraphrases the, the verses and so I wanted to just read this uh, for you and it's paraphrased into modern language pretty much so and so it's not going to sound KJV and it's not going to sound ESV uh, it's going to sound like the message and so uh, Brian will have it on the screen and uh, starts off with saying God my shepherd I don't need a thing you have bedded me down in lush meadows you find me quite pools to drink from true to your word you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction even when the way goes through death valley I'm not afraid when you walk at my side your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure you serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So it's an interesting take on the 23rd Psalm when you read it through fr from the message. But then uh, Psalm 23:4 from the ESV simply says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think we can all agree, just from what we discussed uh, during prayer time today, that travel is a major part of modern day society. Do any of you ever do any traveling? Now, I remember growing up in the Sand Hills of South Carolina. It was 50 miles to Charlotte, North Carolina from where we lived. That was an all-day trip. To go to Charlotte, go to Sears and Roebuck, stop at McDonald's to get a 19-cent hamburger, try that this, this week. And then drive back home, I mean, it was an all-day trip. It was a major exercise to go to Charlotte to go shopping. And then, Rhonda's mom and dad moved to the upstate, and we started driving two and a half hours one way to come see them in Spartanburg area. Man, that was a drive, two and a half hours. Well, then, they moved to Miami, Florida. And they wanted the kids during the summertime. So, I would drive to Jacksonville, Florida to meet them and drive back home the same day. We're talking 12-hour round trip. Drive, meet at Quince's on Dunn Avenue, spend a couple of hours together, get in my car, and drive back to Spartanburg. But then when they were in Miami, we also had to drive to Miami 12 hours down Interstate 95. Oh, joyous days those were. 12 hours in the same vehicle with two road rats. 12 hours. And you know we didn't have GPS. We didn't have a cell phone. You, you know, the only thing we had was an old-fashioned map. Can any of you read a map? Can, can anybody still read a map? 
I've still got an atlas in my truck just in case I'm somewhere that you can't get GPS. I can still pull out the app and find my way around. Well, fr from that then, God called me to the North Spartan Association to direct her missions, and lo and behold, the first year I was there, we drove to Wyoming for me to be in a youth meeting out there. For that trip, there again was no GPS, no cell phone, but we did have internet, and I went online, and I printed out maps and, and put maps together, and, and me and Rhonda took off with our camper to Wyoming and back. We, we drove that trip, must have been about 4,000 miles total. And I think we made like one wrong turn. She was navigating. She'd have those sheets of paper and, and say, go here, go there. And, of course, Danny is a good husband. I said, yes, ma'am. I'll go here and I'll go there. And, and, and we made it out there and back without the aid of GPS and cell phone technology. Can you imagine? Oh, from my young days in the sand hills of a... 50-mile trip to Charlotte, to traveling the world. Uh, my mind still can't comprehend all of it. But back in the day, you didn't just jump in a car and program a GPS and head out cross country. And if we want to go back even further from, from my childhood, I know that goes a long way back. <laughs> I, I mean, I know we're, we're getting back in the Stone Age now. But, but I'm sure that you've watched some old Westerns. Anybody watch old Westerns? Other than, than us? You ever watch Wagon Train? Uh, yeah, Wagon Train is one of our favorites. And, and, and Wagon Train gives you that picture of what real hard traveling was like. No GPS, no cell phone, no motorized vehicle, no, no maps to speak of. And, and, and those Wagon Trains would head out west to California. That was real traveling. Those early settlers going that way. And they, they traveled as a group because it was safer and as a group because they could support each other in case they had issues. But you know that, that wagon train didn't just happen. It didn't just go poof and there it was. There was a wagon master. Now the wagon master on a wagon train was right up there with God. You had God, then you had the wagon master. On some wagon trains, you probably had the wagon master, and then you had God. And, and that wagon master is the one who said, yeah, you can join this trip. No, you can't join this trip. He's the one who said, this is the route we're going. This is the one who said, this is what we're going to do. And, and you had to do it because he was your guide. And without him, you were not going to make it to your destination. The journey was long. The journey was hard. and They had to have somebody who knew the way, someone who knew the best route to go. They needed someone who knew where the water could be found on most days, not always. They needed someone who knew where the, the, the local towns were so they could go in and get supplies. They needed someone who could help them get there safely because they're going through a lot of perils on their journey. Again, if you've watched Wagon Train or any of these other old westerns, you know that it's not unusual they would be attacked by Indian 
you, you know that they often would face fires on the, the Great Plains and th those fires would destroy everything that they had. Th then you had the storms that would come their way, a lack of water, wild animals. I, I mean, it was not for the faint of heart. When you got in that wagon <clears throat> and headed out west, you wanted that wagon master to know exactly what to do so that you could arrive there safely. Without him, you weren't going to make it. That was how important that he was. Well, in Psalm 23, verse 4, remember the psalmist is writing from the viewpoint of a sheep. And in this verse, he is detailing what it was like to travel with his shepherd. So, so the title of the message is Traveling with the Shepherd. <clears throat> because the sheep in this verse are traveling with him. And if you want to, you can compare the shepherd to the wagon master. Because the shepherd played the same role with the sheep that the wagon master played with all of the families under his care as they journeyed to the west. The, the, the shepherd, <clears throat> his job was to keep the sheep safe and provided for. I've already shared a lot over these other three verses about what they did and how that they did so and the love and the care they had for their sheep. Well, today it <clears throat> goes to a whole different level of the care that the shepherd provides. And in verse 4, the psalmist is painting a vivid picture for us of the path and the protection that was involved in traveling with the shepherd. The first thing we're going to look at is the path. The, the path that is described in this verse of Scripture, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, what does this mean literally? Well, this, this, this path that they're traveling on, number one, would almost always in the Middle East be an uphill journey. They would start in the valley. <clears throat> the psalmist is talking about even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he, he is walking through that valley as they start up the mountainside. As, as the weather changed in the springtime and the snow would begin to melt away on the higher peaks, the shepherd would take his sheep and he would begin to wind his way up the side of the mountain to get to where the good green grass was and where the good still water was for the sheep to be able to graze. And he'd be up there with them for weeks and months at a time, leading them from one destination to the next destination. But it was an always an uphill journey. Now, I don't know if any of you have done any backpacking. Well, I, I know Wes has done some. John Wes, have you done any backpacking with him? But, it, you know, if you've done any backpacking, me, me and three of my preacher friends, we've done part of the Appalachian Trail in, in Georgia. Some of them have finished it. I, I, I'm a slacker. I haven't finished it yet. But, but when you get on the Appalachian Trail, uh, I had like a 25, 30-pound backpack because you had to have your sleep gear, you had to have your food gear, you had to have your food, you know, you had to have rain gear, you had to have all of it. So that backpack, 25, 30 pounds, plus the water that was in there. Well, I found out that the Appalachian Trail in the state of Georgia <coughs> is horrible. Because you go up hills and up hills and up hills and up hills. They say that the majority of through hikers who are going to 
plans to backpack all the way to Maine, yet the majority do drop out, drop out in the state of Georgia because they find out how hard it is. I, I can literally remember my backpack on going up those steep hills. I'd, I'd go 10 to 20 feet and stop. I'd go 10 to 20 feet and stop. I'd go 10 to 20 feet, there'd be a tree close to the trail, I'd back up to that tree and rest my backpack on that tree. And this would be all day long, six to eight miles during the day. All uphill. It, it, it seemed like it was, all, there were some downhills, but then you went up Blood Mountain, and I mean, it was just uphill. But the shepherd and his sheep, they're going uphill. They're starting off in the valley. When you start off in the valley, you can't do anything but go uphill. <clears throat> I mean, if you're already in the valley, you can't go down any further. It's got to be uphill. And so <coughs> this path that's described is, is uphill path. And it's full of ravines and drop-offs. If you've spent any time in the mountains, and most of us have traveled to the Blue Ridge Mountains, and we've gone the, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and we, we've seen all of these places, and we know about the ravines and drop-offs and how easy it would be to, to just fall off the side and never come back up again. Well, this was their path. It had brush and briars. Now, I, I grew up in Chesterfield County, as I've mentioned multiple times, and, and we, had, we had real briars down there. They, they were bamboo briars. Some, some of those briars would be that long. And if you were out in the woods... And if you didn't know where you were going and you got in one of those thickets of briars, it about cut your pants off of you. Try to get back out of there. Well, the sheep were having to deal with that on this journey. As they were going up the side of the mountain, they had the drop-offs and they had the ravines and, and they had the brush and the briars. <clears throat> and then they had the wild animals. All through Scripture, the Old Testament especially, it, it talks about the shepherds fighting the wild animals and what was involved in that, the, the, the lions and the bears and, and what they had to do to keep the sheep safe. So, so this path that is described and talked about here, it's not for the faint of heart. The life of a shepherd was hard. It still is hard. We, we have seen sheep and shepherd multiple times while traveling in Turkey. Uh, I stood in the ruins of the city of Ephesus and looked upon the mountainside and see the, the sheep with the shepherd up there grazing, going across the hillside. It's hard work. You, you're desolate. You're, you're by yourself. You're with the sheep and nobody else. It's not for the faint of heart. It's tough on the sheep also. So, so that is the literal picture that we have here. But figuratively, for the believer, how, how do we apply this? What, what, what does it mean when it talks about even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Understand that from the day that a child is born, that child immediately begins to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. People talk about we are born to live. We are born to die. I, I know this sounds morbid, and it's not the way that most people think, but from the time of conception, we're headed towards what? Death. From the very moment of conception, death is what we're marching towards. And so every child that is born, they're they born through this valley 
of, of the shadow of death, whether they're a believer or not a believer. Let, let me share with you just some ways that we know that we are walking through such a valley. What, what about in the area of sickness? Is there anyone exempt from sickness? No one that I've met. No one that I know. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death of sickness, whether it may be from a bad heart, may be from cancer, may be from COVID, pneumonia, dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. We, we are constantly walking through the valley of the shadow of death where we encounter sicknesses. We, we also encounter violence. Do you understand what a violent society we live in in America? One of my trips to Turkey, I, I had some pastors going with me, and the, mother, the mother-in-law of one was all upset. Her son-in-law was going to go over there, beheaded and be killed and buried and never come back to the States, and she was hysterical. And, and I said, here's what you can tell her for me. I promise her I will keep you just as safe there as I can keep you here. And then remind her, Oklahoma City in the Murrah building was bombed with fertilizer and diesel fuel. R reminder about the, the Twin Towers in New York when some 3,000 people went to work and never come back home again. Reminder about all the mass shootings that we've had in schools and in shopping centers and malls and, and, and different venues. We, we live here so we become kind of accustomed to hearing all of it, but we live in a very violent society in America. Turn on your news. Rob could tell us about the violence. He's, he sees it firsthand and hears about it and knows about it. The, the violence that we deal with, break-ins, mass shootings, gangs, riots, we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. What about finances? Have you ever lost a job? You ever been demoted? You ever had your pay cut? If you've ever gone through that, it ain't fun. Especially if you are raising a family and they're depending upon you. So you could have the loss of job, demotion, bad investments. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If they say, give me $20 and I'll give you 1000 back, don't you do it. All you're going to do is lose $20. And they're going to have enough $20 that they'll have their own 1000 But you're not going to get it. Bad investments. There are families who have lost everything because of bad investments. They, they have gone for this get-rich-quick scheme, and, and then they don't have anything. They lose everything because of these bad investments. And what about just in relationships? We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We, we walk through these hardships in relationships, family relationships. So we've talked about that multiple times, how dirty and nasty family relationships can become. Work relationships, oh my gracious. Uh, you don't get to choose who your family is, and a lot of times you don't get to choose who you work with. And sometimes they both can be pretty bad. Can I get an amen? You got any bad family? <laughs> you ever had any bad work relationships? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you, you know, uh, dual relationships. I've told y'all many times, I'm glad I'm not back in school. I, once was enough for me. It was really too much for me. I thank God for schools and teachers. But you know, there are even bad relationships sometimes in churches. I never, never would that happen in a church. If only it would never happen in a church. I could tell you story after story after story. I could tell you about the church that I went to visit on the Sunday morning and I get out of the truck and I'm walking across the parking lot and two men come out and says, who called you? I'm like, nobody called me. Why? Well, there's a major feud going on inside, and I just figure somebody called you to come straighten it out. I'm like, uh, no. Well, the preacher's up in the pulpit, and he's telling them, and I'm like, okay, why did I choose this church to visit today? I just blindly showed up. And they were like, come on, come inside with, with us. Well, I didn't have any option but to go inside with them. And to calm everything down, they opened the door, we walked in, and they announced the director of missions is here. And I'm like, how y'all doing? Relationships in churches sometimes can go south and sour and can be horrible. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death every day. Sickness, violence, finances, relationships. That, that's the, th this is the, the traveling with the shepherd. This is the path that we're talking about. The, the sheep had their own path that was tough. But we as believers, we have our own path that we live in that is tough also. Well, what about the protection? This verse speaks about the path that is described, but also the protection that is described. I like protection, don't y'all? All these crazy people for the last three years is defund the police, get rid of the police, get rid of them. We don't need them. They're nothing but trouble. We, we, we don't want any more police officers. You know what those cities are now doing? Could we get some police officers, please? Please, please, we need some police officers. And if I was a police officer, I'd be like, sorry, been there, done that. Don't trust you. You'd fire me again. But we, we like, and these people who are crying all this, especially the politicians who are crying, get rid of the police and, and stop all of this. Well, they've got their own private security firms that are taking care of them. They've got their own protectors that are walking with them with their guns and, and with their training. And, and they, they want to be protected, but they don't care if you're protected or not. Protection is important. I, I, I think I know some of y'all in here well enough to know that I wouldn't want to break into your homes because you're going to protect your family. Can, can I get a nod? Uh, there, there's more than one in here that if somebody comes into their house at night, it's not going to end well, most likely. Because uh, we're, we're going to protect our own. We, we like protection. We want protection. We give protection. The sheep needed protection. And verse 4 speaks about that protection. 
He says, well, fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. They, they protect me. Doesn't protection bring comfort? Th that, th those two items. What do we know about the rod? The shepherds of yesteryear, they didn't have guns. They, they didn't have knives. They, they didn't have any of the modern weaponry that we have. So what did they do? Well, their club would be a small sapling that they would go in and pull up out of the, the ground, cut the roots off, and leave the, the big root ball. And they would shape it up and let it dry in the sun. And they'd have a, a rod that they could hold in their hand that had the big ball on the end of it. And in Philip Keller's book, The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, he speaks about how that the shepherd would use that club and, and how skilled that the shepherd would be with that club, made out of a tree root, that that shepherd could take that club and with it, he could protect his sheep. He could fight a wild animal with that club. I mean, it had the knot on the end of it and it was sun-dried and hard and he could fight with that club. He could use it for protection. He could also use it for correction. He could use it on his own sheep if he needed to, to correct them, to get them back in line. But not just for protection and correction, but for inspection. Sheep with their thick wool had to be inspected on a regular basis because they'd have parasites that'd get down in, in the wool. They'd have skin diseases that would get started. And so that shepherd would take that club and run it across the sheep and spread the wool apart to look inside of the wool to make sure that he had some really healthy sheep. So, so this rod, this handmade club, was used for protection. Now, they said that a shepherd could actually, they, they would have contests to see who could throw their club the furthest and the most accurate. And that they could throw their club to within just inches of where a wild animal was to scare them off or could throw that club to within inches of where a sheep had gone astray and scare that sheep back into the fold that they practiced with that club so they could do all of that so so this rod this handmade club man it was important so how does that apply to us the application for the believer is that the club that corrects us, the club that protects us, the club that inspects us, the Word of God. The Word of God is like God's club that He uses on us. Have you ever been beaten by the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible and it was like, <laughs> felt like it slapped you upside the head? Like, you big dummy, you. What are you doing? You shouldn't do that. You can't say that. You can't go there. You, you can't live that way. I, I mean, the Bible can be a club beating you upside the head if you are out of God's will, and, and it can beat you and bring you back into submission. And, and, and the Bible, well, it, it leads to inspection too, doesn't it? If you're reading the Bible and it says you should not bear false witness, oh, I'm sorry. You're reading the Bible and it says pride goeth before the fall. I, I didn't mean to be prideful. You're, you're reading the Bible, and, and, uh, and it just goes on and on and on, and, and, and that Bible the whole time is just correcting, correcting, correcting. 
don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. The club for the believer is the word of God. But in verse 4 it says, your rod and your staff comfort me. The rod, short, knob on the end, made from a tree root, probably. That could be used to, to fight with, could be used to throw, that could be used to part the wool and inspect. And then you have the staff. And the staff is that long, slender, handmade stick with a crook on the end that if you've ever seen any pictures of a shepherd, you've seen the staff, haven't you? You've seen the shepherd standing with the staff and it's got the crook on the end of it. What I read was that they'll take a green tree, small sapling, and they'll trim it off and smooth it up, and they'll bend it at the top into the shape they want it and let it dry. And it dries with that crook built into the top of it. Now, now this staff, this, this stick with a crook on the end, what is it used for? Well, it is often used to comfort the sheep. Philip Keller said that a lot of times the shepherd would have a sheep that he spent more time with than others. And then as they'd be walking along, that, that shepherd would, would take that staff and, and it would just kind of, while they're walking, be rubbing the side of that sheep. The sheep knew that its beloved shepherd was right there. No matter what happened, that, that sheep was comforted because the staff was against its side, which was connected to the shepherd, and the sheep was like, I'm in good hands. So the staff could be used for comfort, could be used for rescue. I, I, I mentioned that there'd be ravines and uh, gullies, and sometimes a sheep would fall over the side of it, and the shepherd could take that staff some six feet long, reach down with that hook, and hook it around that sheep, and pull the sheep back up and rescue it. Sometimes it said that, that a, a ewe, that baby lamb, would get away from its mom, and the shepherd, instead of picking it up and carrying it back to the mama, would use the, the head of the, the staff to pick that baby ewe up with to carry it back to the mama because if he picked it up with his hands and got that all human-like, the mama may not have anything to do with it. And so to avoid contaminating that you with the scent of the man, he'd just take the crook, pick it up, carry it over, put it back with his mama, and everybody was happy. It, it could be used for direction. As they were walking, he could take the end of it and punch the sheep and say, turn here, kind of like an ox goad. The, the, the oxen would be walking and the farmer beside them with the ox goad and he would punch him with that sharp stick and make the ox turn. Shepherd would use this staff in the same way. And it also could be used for correction, just like the, the rod was. The staff could also be used to correct the sheep for getting out of line and doing what it should not do. So, what does all of that mean for the believer? Remember, the psalmist is writing from the viewpoint of the sheep and saying that we are sheep and God is our shepherd and, and God is going to use the rod and he's going to use the staff 
So what, what is the South? If we could picture it for the believer, it would be the Spirit of God. Does not the Spirit of God comfort us? Does He not rescue us? Does He not direct us? Does He not correct us? That the Spirit of God is like the staff that the shepherds used to keep the sheep where He wanted them to be and to comfort them, direct them, to love on them, and to be there with them. Through the valley of the shadow of death. This sheep says, my shepherd has a rod and a staff, and they comfort me. Now, one of the key words in verse 4, I've not dealt with yet. And that key word is shadow. It says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We all know what a shadow is. Have you ever played with your shadow before? Have you ever tried to run away from your shadow? Get out in the sunshine and and kids, I don't know, kids still do this? You know, back in the day, kids would take their hands and get it in front of a, a light and make all kinds of shapes and stuff. Do, do kids still do that? Or do, do they use technology now? I mean, we, we didn't have technology. So, Jack, Jackson, you do it? Yeah, make, make rabbit ears. Yeah. Uh, I mean, kids have been doing that for generations. And, and sometimes it may look a little scary, but that kid knows that that whatever is what? Just a shadow. Take the light away, there's no shadow. Put the hands down, there's no shadow. That No matter how scary it may look, they know it doesn't pose any danger. That it's just a shadow. Well, the psalmist is talking about the sheep walking through the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. I've already made mention that we as believers are constantly walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That we're going to encounter difficulties as followers of Christ. I mean, it's a given. We're, we're going to encounter difficulties. We need to remember that ultimately, though, no long-term effect on us. Though we may have cancer, though we may have a bad heart, though, though we may lose everything, though we may have bad relationships, it's not for eternity. That there's a time limit that we're going to deal with all of this. So, so in essence, though we may suffer in this life, we know that all of these difficulties will come to pass just like a shadow passing away. Death for the believer is nothing but a shadow. It has no, it cannot hurt you. Because from death to life is where we go. So when we're walking through this journey and the path gets hard, and everybody's path gets hard from time to time, when the path gets hard, just remember, in essence, it's just a shadow of death. And one day, God will take care of all things. We, we look at things in short term instead of long term. Short term, I don't feel good. Short term, 
I might, I might die today. Short term, I might die in five years. God looks at it from eternity. You're going to be with me for all eternity. So all of that, it was bad, but it's all gone. It's no more than a shadow because you're now with me forever and ever and ever. Traveling with a shepherd. I thank God for traveling with him. I, I believe I can trust him. I know I can trust him because I've already walked 68 years in the valley of the shadow of death. And he has not looked down on me. Maybe 